Welcome into another edition of Soccer and Snow and Smoke, the soccer podcast from ESPN Missoula. I'm Andrew Houghton. Thanks for joining us on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Before we get started introducing this week's guest, just a couple housekeeping notes. I know we've been off for a while, but we're planning to hit it hard this summer. We'll have a lot of content based around the Women's World Cup, and we'll continue bringing you interviews with some of the top figures in soccer around the state of Montana. That's what we wanted to do, and that's what we will do. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you, as always, by Zootown Sports Cards, as well as Blackfoot Communications. Many thanks go out to our great sponsors. This week's guest, a really influential figure in the history of Montana soccer. If you listen to this podcast, you know that I talk a lot about the Montana Grizzlies women's soccer program. This is a person who is hugely influential in the development of that program. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce this week's guest on Soccer and Snow and Smoke, former Montana Grizzlies soccer head coach and one of the newest inductees in the Montana Hall of Fame, Betsy Dirksen. Betsy, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I really appreciate it. And hey, I also appreciate what you do, like trying to help people have more information about soccer in Montana. I think that's really great. I have a great time doing it, so it, it works both ways, but thank you for that. Betsy was the first coach. She she got Montana's soccer program off the ground. This was back in 1994. The first ever coach in the history of the Montana Grizzlies soccer program went on to coach here at Montana for 10 years up until 2003, was hugely successful in her time at Montana, and just recently announced one of the four-person class being inducted into the Montana Athletics Hall of Fame this year. So, Betsy, congrats on the Hall of Fame induction, of course. But I just wanted to start out with a little update. I mean, what are you up to right now? What are you doing these days? Well, I'm coaching right now um, at Patiador's Youth Soccer Club in Southern California. I'm the pre-ECNL director, which means I take the, the two younger teams before young girls become ECNL age, which ECNL is the elite club's national league so it's the it's the top league in the country for youth female soccer players i take the two youngest age groups at pats build our teams and try to prepare those girls to be equipped to play in the highest league in the country and it's a lot of fun so right now i've got two teams um one is young girls nine turning 10 years old and the other is 10 year olds turning 11 um and i'm really enjoying it a lot so still in coaching, have you been in Southern California for a while? Yeah, ever since we left Montana in 2005, we've been in Southern California. We moved here for my husband's job. I left coaching at the University of Montana um, just so I could spend more time with my own three children. And basically that got me into coaching youth soccer in Southern California with my own kids. And I loved coaching college soccer, but then I found out, I love coaching youth soccer even more because the young kids, they're just so, you know, they're so open and moldable and teachable. So I've really enjoyed going to the younger ages, actually. Well, certainly at that age, you're still learning something new every day. You can still teach something new every day and and see those results really quickly. Yes, exactly. Like I came home from practice yesterday and I was telling my husband when I came home, like, Oh my gosh, now Evie can juggle 20 times. She couldn't even juggle like two just last week. But she was so excited to like learn about juggling. She went home and practiced and practiced and practiced. And suddenly she's doing it like they, the, the kids can improve so much so quickly. They're willing to work. They have great energy and just maybe an openness to coaching that older kids sometimes get a little bit, um, I don't know, tired of it all, burnt out. 
where the young kids are just still super excited, full of energy. So I, I find that enjoyable. That's awesome. Here's a little biographical background on Betsy Dirksen, who's joining us today on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. She was a great player at Boston College in the 1980s, uh, four-time All-American, actually, at Boston College. Went on to coach at Seattle University and then became the first coach in Montana Grizzlies soccer history in 1994, which was when the program was founded as a varsity team. This was a couple years before the Big Sky Conference even sponsored soccer, but when the Big Sky Conference first started sponsoring women's soccer as a sport in 1997, Betsy led the Grizzlies to at least a share of the first four conference championships. She coached 10 years at Montana, won over 60% of her games, won over 70, nearly 80% of her Big Sky games before leaving Montana in 2003, one thing that I'm so interested in is just what it was like for you coming into a program that was that was nothing at that point. You were a young coach at that point, although you'd had a previous coaching job at Seattle. But the Montana Grizzlies soccer program in 1994 was just getting started. What was that like building a program that, that didn't exist before you got there? Right. Yeah. I think I was so young and dumb. I didn't even know <laughs> what a big project it was, thankfully, or I maybe wouldn't have taken the job. Um, but there was a club team at the University of Montana. And so that was sort of like the founding piece that really helped. And there were some great players that we actually kept from the cl- club team and then really heavily recruited in Montana and in Washington and Oregon. So basically the Pacific Northwest became our stomping grounds to find a lot of great players. Um, it may, you know, somehow we were able to get some of these great players that Washington State and University of Washington didn't pick up. And I was really lucky to get players like Karen Hardy's from the Seattle area, Courtney Matheson's from the Seattle area, Lisa Oyen. She's from Portland, Oregon. Just, we were able to build a program out of great players from the Pacific Northwest. But then there was also some Montana kids like Nikki Grossberg and Michelle Badella-Gizek that formed that, those first years core. Like I, I would have to say I was lucky or I was thankfully blessed by God. Like, we ended up with a great first recruiting class of some wonderful people, wonderful athletes. And we tied that together with the club players that were already there. And right away we had a great team. What was it like selling players on, on a completely new program? Well, that you could be part of something um, brand new, that you could be a part of something that didn't exist before, you know, like I think, you know, also I sold Missoula just as a town. Like Missoula is such a great, fun college town. And a lot of my players ended up staying, even if they're from Seattle or Portland, staying and living in Missoula or like Courtney Matheson, for example, she she's a lawyer in Helena now. Like a lot of them fell in love with Montana itself. And um, so I think selling Montana, selling the beautiful nature, selling the, the college town and what great fans we have, and then just selling being a part of, you know, a brand new program. Like you can be a part of the group that started this thing. Um, a lot of those girls are coming to the Hall of Fame banquet in October. Like they've already got a table and bought tickets. Like they just feel such um, a connection to being the first original members of the team. 
the Montana Grizzlies, it's still one of the best selling points for, for any athletic program here is to, to sell this place and to sell Missoula. I know the soccer team still does a lot of that. It's Betsy Dirksen, who was the first ever coach of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team, joining us today on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. And Betsy, I want to talk more about that first team. I want to talk a little bit about how you came to Montana. But before all that, I just want to talk about how you got into soccer in the first place. What was it like for you growing up? And what was it that made the game so so enticing to you that you made it your career? <laughs> um, so... Amazingly, my my town in Edina, Minnesota, that I grew up in, um, when I was in second grade, they started youth soccer for boys and girls. And I was one of those kids, like, I played every single sport. Like, my parents were amazing. They, I played tennis, and I did swimming, and I played basketball, and I figure skated. Like, I just loved every single sport. But when my parents saw that there was this new soccer thing starting up in Edina, Minnesota, they signed me that up for that too. And I fell in love. And I guess the thing that attracted me to soccer more than the other sports was I, there was a sense of freedom that I felt that I still feel when I play that other sports were maybe a little bit more um, constrained, like, Hey, you have to do it this way. But for soccer, I just felt this pure joy, freedom. Maybe it's because the field is so big, like the coaches just can't have too much influence over what's going on, right? But I was just able to, you know, personally express myself creatively, maybe like how, you know, a painter or an artist would feel on a canvas. Like for me, soccer is that where I got to fully express myself in a creative way. And so that's why I love the game. And I fell in love with it from second grade on. And I remember some, some of the, like some of my teachers at high school, they would call it, you play that communist sport, you know, it was so like, or all the foreigners play so- soccer. Like, you know, if you're a, a good, wholesome Minnesotan, you, you don't play soccer. Like, there was some negativity, negativity towards the sport that I felt growing up, but I, I loved it. I loved it more than any of the other 40 different sports that I was exposed to as a kid. And I'm so grateful for my parents. They were super supportive of me as a young athlete. What position did you play when, when you were playing? I was a center midfielder. So you were, you were in the thick of things all, all the time? I like to be around the ball. Yeah, I'm, I think I had to be a center midfielder because I was going to go get the ball wherever it was. I, I love to run, but I was a more attacking player probably. I was more an, a, like a number 10 attacking center midfielder than a six, like not so much a defensive midfielder. And then you went on to play and, and play really successfully at Boston College, and you were a great player at Boston College. In fact, this was mind-blowing to read in, in the press release. You were... Boston College's female athlete of the 1980s. What was it like playing playing high-level college soccer at that time? As you mentioned, there was sort of this was before soccer became really big in the United States. Of course, the women's national team hadn't blown up yet. What was it like to be playing on that level at that time? Yeah, I mean, it's different from how it is now. Like you know. Um, I can remember we trained on the grass that was where the football team held their tailgates. So there was always like bottle caps on our practice field. And I remember slide tackling and cutting open my leg on a a beer bottle cap. There, There was nobody that washed our uniforms 
or our training gear for us. It just, you know, we didn't go in and lift weights altogether. It was pretty, like, I had a great experience, but watching how much women's sports have changed since I was a young girl, you know, I mean, just thank God for Title IX and the opportunities that um, have been allowed for, like, my mom was a great athlete, but she didn't even get to play sports, and I got to play sports, but not at the same level that men, you know, like basically all the men's teams at Boston College got way more than the women's teams did when I was there. And I don't mean that as a, you know, a a slam against Boston College. I had a great experience. That was the culture then. And now you see like young girls for like Angel, the the Angel FC here in um, Los Angeles, like young girls can leave high school, not go to college and sign a contract for half a million dollars play professional soccer. Like that didn't exist when I graduated college. I should have been able to play professional sports, but there was no pro league to go to just seeing how much the sport has improved for women is, and, and, and even in basketball, just women's sports as a whole, it's really been great to see. So I had a good experience at Boston college, but nothing like what kids experience now with, if that answers your question. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you in part by Blackfoot Communications. Stay connected with Blackfoot Communications, whatever your internet and phone needs, whether they're business or personal. Go to goblackfoot.com to see how they can help you stay connected. And if you're a small business, see how they can help you grow your business with their Connect to More program. That's goblackfoot.com. Thank you to Blackfoot Communications. Thank you as well to our other sponsor and Zootown Sports Cards, Missoula's hub for all things sports card and memorabilia collecting. Located in the Stevens Center at 2100 Stevens Avenue. Nice and central to everything in the Garden City. And with a great collection of sports cards for you to peruse, whether you're looking for packs or for singles. Still running our Soccer and Snow and Smoke podcast special at Zootown Sports Cards. Go down there and let them know that you heard about them on the podcast. They'll hook up a special deal for you. I've got to get down there myself to see how their inventory's changed. It's always changing, always new stuff to look at. That Zootown Sports Cards, 2100 Stevens Avenue in the Stevens Center. Big thanks to both of our sponsors. Now back to soccer and snow and smoke. Yeah, it's so interesting to me to get that perspective from somebody who lived through it. And I mean, we celebrated, of course, the 50th anniversary of Title IX, and there were all these these great stories. But for me, it's so important to talk to people who lived through that period, who were elite athletes back then. So I, I love that, that angle on it. You didn't go on to play at all after college? There was nowhere to play. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was one of the best players coming out of college, and there was just... So I, that's why I got into co- uh, coaching at such a young age. Is I loved the sport, loved the game, wanted to stay in it. And so I, I was um, a head coach at Seattle University. I was 24, and my oldest player at Seattle U was a graduate student who was also 24, you know. Like I was pretty young when I got started, but it was just because there was no, no, no opportunity for me to play professionally. I would have preferred to do that. Like playing is way more fun than coaching. Although coaching is awesome, playing yeah. is way more fun. <laughs> <laughs> right. So how did you get into coaching and how did, you, how did you convince them to give you a head coaching job? You know, at 24, right out of college, what did you say and, and what was your philosophy going into it? <laughs> 
well, who knows? <laughs> it was a long time ago, and I was really young. Um, I was getting, I got my master's in social work at Boston College because of, I was a scholar athlete. I was, you know, coming out of my undergrad. Like, I, I had a scholarship from BC, so I figured I should use that. And so I got my master's in social work. But while I was doing that, I was the assistant coach for a season at Brown University under Coach Phil Pinsons at Brown University. He's a legend there. And then I also did a year of being an assistant at BC at Boston College. And so I did have that experience. And my brother lived in Seattle. And he actually, this is, you know, back before the internet or all that, my brother saw an ad in the physical newspaper of the Seattle Times that Seattle U was looking for a paper. And he cut out this tiny little want ad and he mailed it from Seattle. He lived in Seattle, mailed it to me in Boston. And so I was like, yeah, that'd be fun to be a head coach at a college. That sounds good. So I applied for the job. And because I had those two years of, you know, being an assistant at colleges on the East Coast, probably, and also because I was a four-year All-American, they brought me out for an interview. And apparently I interviewed okay. And they gave me the job, even though I was so young. And I turned around the program. The program had been like a perennial losing program. And by my third year there, we made it to the NAI national tournament. So even though I was young, I guess I I did okay, but I did I, at that point. I have a coaching philosophy now, but I didn't then. I was just, you know, sort of winging it and learning, learning as I went. What were the quickest things that you learned? What were the quickest things that you you picked up right away as you were doing it? Hmm, that's a good question that I would need to think about for a second because I think this is like twenty five years ago or something. Um, I guess for me, even then. Like, I had such joy getting to play soccer. I never wanted to be a coach that would take the fun out of it. That ultimately, if as a coach, we keep our practices, like, playful, and your your athletes are enjoying themselves, they play better. Like, certainly there's a place for – like, I try to make even having discipline and working hard and giving your best – personal best like I try to find ways to make that fun to bring out the creativity of the game the joy of the game because I think we play better I mean even like look I I do some reading on sports psychology and um, mental I'm a mental skills coach I'm a certified mental skills coach and ultimately they say an athlete cannot get into the zone if they're upset or anxious or angry it's impossible to get into that flow state where you're playing your best like the way we get there is when we have like full relaxed focused concentration so trying to create environments training wise where your your players are learning and growing but they're also really truly enjoying what they do that's I think I even learned that when I was that young maybe because I was so close to being a player I was at Seattle U for three years 91 to 94 1991 to 1994 and then after that you end up at Montana. How did you become aware of that job? What was it like applying for the job at Montana? And how did you end up in Missoula? Andrew, I don't know if you believe in God, but (laughs) this is one of those stories where I believe in God. Like I had actually um, left Seattle U after three years because my husband had been pursuing training to um, work for General Electric Medical Systems. And he finally got a job with GE, which was like his dream. And, you know, we knew we wanted to start a family 
and but more like you know college coaches we don't receive a load of money like he he was getting into this job where he was excited to like be the main provider for our family so he gets offered from GE Medical the territory of the state of Montana and I love nature so I was like okay let's let's pursue this let's start a family let's you take this medical job that you've been training for for years I'll leave my coaching job at Seattle U and that was our plan and we bought a house in Bozeman and then after I had left Seattle U, one of my players at Seattle U called me late at night and she said, you're not going to believe this, but University of Montana is starting a program and you're moving there. And it just seemed so just, you know, fortuitous or, or godlike. So I just applied for the job and got the job, even though we had already moved to Montana. So then we both had, you know, jobs that, um, in Montana that we loved. That does it for the first part of our two-part podcast with former Montana Grizzlies head soccer coach Betsy Dirksen. We took you all the way up to when Betsy got the job at Montana right as the Grizzlies were transitioning into being a varsity program. In part two of our conversation, which we'll release later this week, Betsy talks about those years at Montana how she built a program from out of nothing, some of the great players that helped the Grizzlies dominate the first years of Big Sky Conference women's soccer, and even what still might be the program's finest moment, a 1-0 win in the NCAA tournament over Washington State in 2000, some more great memories from the first ever coach in Montana Grizzlies soccer history, and newest inductee into the Grizzly Athletics Hall of Fame, Betsy Dirksen, coming up in part two of our conversation on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Big thanks to our sponsors, Zootown Sports Cards, as well as Blackfoot Communications. Big thanks as well to Betsy Dirksen for taking the time and sharing her stories from back in the day. And thanks as always to you guys for listening. That's part one, part two of Soccer and Snow and Smoke with Betsy Dirksen coming up later this week.